suck at golf and let me tell you why. I'm Avery Dovsik, your host of the Why You Suck at Golf podcast. Thanks for coming back to another episode or if you're new, welcome to the podcast. It's been a minute since I released an episode. The last one was with Travis Miller from PGA Memes. But today we have a new guest. His name is Evan Priest. He is the U.S. golf correspondent for the Australian Associated Press. He's a phenomenal journalist and his words truly can paint a picture of any scene. So without further ado, let's hear from him. But first, let's hear from Anchor. So today I'm happy to be joined with Evan Priest. He is the U.S. golf correspondent for the Australian Associated Press. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. It's a beautiful day here in Sydney. It's morning time for me, and I think it's afternoon for you. So um, thanks for having me on the show. How are you holding up in the quarantine? Um, I know you flew back to get out of Dodge in New York like myself, but what have you been doing? Uh, To be honest, not much. When I came back to Australia, um, I had to be in self-isolation for two weeks. It was just the the law at the time. So there was a lot of reading, watching TV, um, you know, looking forward to each meal was was the way that you got through the day. And then since I've been out, um, the country's kind of on lockdown anyway, so there's not too much you can do. But thankfully, we're still, at, we're still allowed to play golf. So um, I went out and played my first nine holes in the coronavirus era um, two days ago, and that was good fun. And uh, other than that, I've just been kind of like going up to my brother-in-law's place. He has a farm that's only about 20 minutes away from me, so that's some nice kind of open space to go up and do some work and write stories and whatnot. And yeah, just kind of uh, enjoying being back in Australia for a little bit. Well, that's good to know that I'm not the only person looking forward to the next meal. Um, (laughs) I I like have them scheduled out and I call from like my window of 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. like my trouble window because that's when (laughs) I get really bored and I'm just searching for stuff. So I've uh, went to gum because it keeps me a little bit busy. But how is it living with your parents again? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. There are some definitely some benefits to it. Like um, they're cooking a lot, um, so it's kind of nice to to feel like a kid again. You know, like getting your room back and um, them asking you what do you want for dinner and and buying groceries at the grocery store and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I can't complain. I I live overseas now, so any time I get to come back to Australia is nice. And um, yeah, to be able to spend some time with my parents, albeit under some pretty horrendous circumstances, is still nice. Yeah, I cannot say the same. My parents are cooking for me, sadly. My dad thinks it's hilarious. He asks me every day because I grew up playing a bunch of different instruments. He asks me, so you're going to write a song today? He thinks it's the funniest thing, and I'm about to pull my hair out because I can't stand it. What what instruments do you play? What what are your favorites? um, I play mostly guitar and violin. That's kind of what I stuck to. But um, yeah, I dabbled around a little bit of everything, but he thinks he's hilarious. I disagree. (laughs) Um, Most most dads think they are hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) But we met in the studio when you were a guest on Encore at Sirius XM in the city and we kept in contact and I told you I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about your career. So let's jump into that. How did you get into journalism and particularly golf journalism? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I, I never really grew up wanting to be a journalist per se. I just, I just like had a fascination with newspapers and um, the, the big newspaper in Sydney and one of the biggest newspapers in Australia is called the Daily Telegraph. And I always just used to admire the sports section and flip that open every day and would just love the way um, stories were written in such a kind of, 
you know, um, just an everyday language and then the way they were matched up with pictures. So I kind of had that fascination for publishing and for journalism. Um, and then at, at high school, I excelled at English and, and writing and I loved my sport and particularly golf. So I think it was a high school kind of like a, a year coordinator. I, I don't know what you guys would call them in the States, but one of those mentors for that year group. Mm-hmm. And they re- and uh, she recommended that I at least try journalism at university. So I thought, yeah, why not? I haven't really made my mind up uh, what I want to do. So I just kind of enrolled in a journalism course at university and just fell in love with it really. Like just um, what appealed to me was it was so broad and there were so many facets in the industry that you, you could go into. So even if, you know, you got cold feet halfway through the degree, um, you know, you didn't really have to bail from it because you could just honestly use it for anything. You could use it for marketing, for communications, for journalism, for producing. Um, you could even go into photography. So that was kind of the way I, um, you know, became official. And then when I was, I went to a university called the University of New South Wales, which is one of the best um, in Australia. And uh, while I was there, I did an internship with the Daily Telegraph that I just mentioned. And um, and that's where I kind of really learned how to become a journalist. You know, I sort of learned a lot more during those internships than I did um, at university. And uh, and then from there, um, I got a job with a local newspaper um, straight out of university pretty much. Um, and then I, I did a cadetship for, for News Corp. Um, so that was, you know, that was pretty intense. That was learning things like shorthand, which I don't know if you know what shorthand is, but it's like a... Um, yeah yeah condensed version of writing so I had to pass a test where I could write um, at shorthand at at a rate of 120 words a minute so that was pretty intense and then all the while doing doing you know learning how to be a reporter and doing a full-time job putting together a local weekly newspaper and then um, my big break kind of came when I got a job with Yahoo um, Sport in Australia so our our Yahoo is called Yahoo 7 because they're owned by a, a network called Channel 7 so um yeah, I got a job just sort of like writing about national sport. And then I was only four months into the job when Australian Golf Digest magazine tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, we have a deputy editor position available and, and we've heard about you and we'd love you to consider the role. And, and um, my dream job was actually the job that I'm doing right now. And I always, I always tried to make moves that would get me closer towards that. And I thought if I was ever to get that job, I would probably be a likely a candidate if I was at a golf magazine rather than Yahoo 7 Sport, even though I love that job. Mm-hmm. So I took the job and, yeah, it was just the most amazing two and a half years of my life. I saw the world. I got sent to, you know, Asia, America, um, Europe, um, writing travel features. I learned how to put together a golf magazine. I built up connections in the Australian golf industry so that when I finally – got the um, got the tap from the Australian Associated Press to, to move over to the United States that I had a lot of things in place and a lot of people had heard my name so it was kind of easy to describe who I was and yeah that uh, it was July 2016 when the Australian Associated Press said that um, a guy called Ben Everill had left the job to go to the PGAtour.com and uh, was I interested in potentially moving over to the United States and covering the PGA Tour and and that, yeah, that was the dream job. The dream job came knocking. So I, of course, took that up and haven't really looked back. So I'm sorry that was a long-winded answer. No, that was quite, incredible. That's, that's awesome. Kind of my history, yeah. How has the move been from New York City? What was, or from Australia to New York City, what was some of the first things you picked up on? Uh, I, um, it was just an amazing time. You know, I kind of bounced around from place to place. So uh, the girlfriend at the time, 
um, who was who was also Australian, and she moved over with me. So, but I moved over first. So, um, the first couple of months, I lived in LA, um, just in kind of the west West LA area, um, while the tour was on the west coast, and then then I went down to the WGC Mexico the first year that it was played in Mexico City, and then um, then she arrived in New York City um, straight after that. So I went from Mexico City to New York City. And, um, yeah, we, we kind of moved there because she, she was in the event management industry and we wanted to get her a job, um, kind of in, in one of the major cities in the States. And she actually got a job, um, she got a job offer in Brooklyn, but didn't really like the company and had lined up something in Toronto. So we moved to Canada and that was pretty amazing. Like Canada's an incredible country and Toronto's an amazing city. Um, so I was there for 18 months and then, uh, and then when we split up, I, I thought, you know, I have a sort of a bit of a safety net back in New York and a lot of friends there. So I moved back there. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, the first, the first time you go to New York city, as you could probably imagine when you went there to, to go to college, um, it's, it's just an incredible atmosphere. The first time you see it, you have to pinch mm-hmm. yourself that you're in New York city and you're seeing so many things that you've read about and watched in movies and television shows and documentaries. And, and then you're finally there. So it, it was amazing. I couldn't believe how cold it was. So I, you know, <laughs> growing up in Sydney with beautiful weather, probably similar to what you used to in, in Orange County, it's, um, you don't really ever get any temperatures below kind of 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so that, that was, a, that was a bit of an eye opener, but yeah, I, I haven't looked back. I just love New York city. For me, it's a second home other than Sydney. Yeah, I remember getting to the city for my first time. I went, I think, a year and a half before I started college. And I remember going in Times Square, and I was like, this looks exactly like the movies, I told my aunt. (laughs) And I was like, but it's better and bigger. (laughs) And I love, I still go in all the time, and I still pick up on new things Yeah, all the time. I can can remember... um... Uh, when I first came to New York City and, and uh, she was already there and we stayed in this hotel that was pretty much in Times Square. Um, as most Australians do, they kind of gravitate towards Times Square the first time they go there. But but now that um, now when I have Australians visiting me from obviously from Australia, I, I tell them to stay away from Times Square and to not get sucked into <laughs> staying near there because you, you're going to want to pull your hair out by the end of the week. I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> so what do you like most about traveling all over for these golf tournaments? Um, I kind of just like the excitement of, of like the morning, just, just thinking about what could unfold that week at the tournament, you know? So you normally Mondays I'm hanging around in New York city during the morning and the afternoon. And then at nighttime I'm flying to whatever tournament it is. And then, you, you know, you check in your hotel quite late and you wake up early Tuesday morning, but there's, there's always a sense of excitement. Um, you know, what kind of stories are going to come up over the next two days of practice and then what what's going to happen during the tournament and, you know, hopefully maybe an Australian might win or you might see Tiger win. So, yeah, that, that's what I most look forward to is that Tuesday morning. Um, and then on top of that, some of the venues that you go to, you know, like I was like, I'm lucky enough every year to do the California swing and it's almost in, in its entirety. So going to Torrey Pines is just that incredible California winter feel and then going to Pebble Beach and sort of, seeing some of the celebrities and, and walking around Pebble Beach and seeing the sixth and the seventh tee box and all that sort of stuff. I love that that time of year. So, yeah, for me, that's the most exciting thing. That's awesome. I still have not been to Torrey Pines yet. Oh, really? <laughs> it's in my backyard, essentially. I know. It's probably but, like an hour from you, isn't it? Yeah, not far at all. I got to get over there this summer. That's on the bucket list. But I've heard you talk about Australian players and them having a lot of respect for fellow Australians in the media 
do you have any cool stories or cool experiences you've had with that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, uh, so after after Adam Scott won at Riviera um, a couple of you know a couple of months ago, um, we kind of you know he hadn't won on the PGA Tour in four years, and and after his press conference, I was asking a few more questions just for the Australian audience and. And I, and we just, I kind of said to him, oh, you know, where are we getting a couple of beers? And I, I was joking, you know, but he said, oh, yeah, of course, you know, I'm staying at so-and-so hotel down at Santa Monica and um, you and my other colleague can, can come down for a couple of drinks if you like. So, so we went down to this hotel and we, we had a couple of beers with Adam Scott who had just won a PGA Tour event. So for me, that was a really neat, neat deal, you know, to be able to have a, have a beer with a PGA Tour winner just hours after he sunk the winning putt. And, and not only that, for it to be, um, for it to be Tiger Woods's invitational at Riviera and and see Tiger present Adam with the trophy, it was it was a pretty special moment that that I'll remember for a long time. That's for sure. Wow, that's so fun too. <laughs> and you're on the West Coast, but that's awesome. You do you stay connected off the course? Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of check in with the Australian players um, whenever I'm not at a tournament because when I'm not covering PJ Tour events, I still have to write just a couple of stories throughout the week mainly a preview of the event. So you're always, you know, texting the guys and checking in with them. And sometimes you're interviewing them um, and uh, just, you know, generally seeing what they're up to and maybe sending some selfies of each other drinking beer and playing golf and whatnot. So um, some of my colleagues have always joked, you know, and always observed that um, the Australian players have a really unique bond with the media over there because, because they recognize um, that golf is maybe not the biggest sport back here in Australia. And, um, they, they'd love to do anything they can they can do to help get in, in, in right so you're in a lucky position position in that you're the mouthpiece for Australian golf in the United States um, mm-hmm. yeah so, so they're really good with that and, and they respect um, the role that I play and, and you know I couldn't ask for a better a group of guys to cover regularly as a journalist I know you have a lot of deadlines and that is so common do you work better when you're closer to deadlines oh yeah yeah <laughs> i'm a uh, <laughs> like a lot of journalists i'm a pretty big procrastinator so i need the kind of immediacy of a deadline to really get focused if i if i'm writing a feature that's due you know in a week or so or in a few days i can't really motivate myself until it's maybe seven hours from being submitted so um yeah i i, I love the pressure of deadlines and i love i love you know having to come up with something that that's readable and that's that's um you know, insightful, but, but under the gun. So, um, and it's a shame that master's week just went by because usually master's is where you're under the most pressure and the most people back in Australia are reading all your stories and, you know, radio networks and television networks are taking your stories and, and literally regurgitating them on the air. So, um, I kind of miss that terrible, but really taxing week of the masters. And I'm sure you're the same. I'm sure you were watching the masters reruns and sort of wishing that it didn't, you know, get can or sorry, postponed, I should say. Yeah, don't say cancel. <laughs> Watch that yeah. C-word. <laughs> um, but I know you started covering it back in 2017. What? How did that all start? And is that your favorite week of the year? Is that your favorite tournament to go to? You know, you know, there's, there's a couple of um, favorite tournaments that I've got for, for different reasons. Obviously, the Masters is, is the favorite tournament to cover because it's just the biggest thing in golf and it always will be. Um, but it's also an incredibly hard working week. Like I just said, it, it's the one week where um, all the sports editors and, and presenters and whatnot are paying attention to golf in Australia. So you're really under the gun and you're under the pump. But um, for, for purely good times, my favourite tournament every year to cover is, is the Tournament of Champions in Maui because I normally fly straight from Sydney to Hawaii 
Um, and it's kind of like a really nice way to ease back into the year because you, you're play, usually playing 18 holes every morning at the bay course at Kapalua, then you're driving over to the plantation course and doing a little bit of work and then you're eating sushi at night and, you know, maybe going for a swim. So that's my favourite tournament for vibes. And then kind of the favourite golf tournament course-wise is definitely um, the Genesis at Riviera because I, I think, you know, it's the best golf course on the PGA Tour that the, that the Tour returns to every year. So those three tournaments are all pretty amazing. Bring us back to 2017 when you got the opportunity to play Augusta National. Yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty rare for, obviously, you, you probably know that they have a, a media lottery every year um, and Augusta draws out, I think it's something like 36 journalists to play, um, to play the, to play the mm-hmm. Masters, uh, to play Augusta, sorry, I should say the day after the Masters with the Sunday pins. Um, and yeah, on my mm-hmm. first, on my first Masters, I got drawn out. So you put your name in the lottery on, I think it's like Thursday or whatever it opens up and then they draw it out Saturday morning and yeah, to walk down the grand staircase and, and see your name on the television screen um, as a winner of the lottery. It was one of the most excited days of, of my life. And then um, I, then I was just thinking about that first tee shot all weekend, you know, just please don't, please don't <laughs> top it. Just get it airborne. You know, I don't care where it goes, just get it in the air. Um, and then, yeah, when you get there, you're so excited, but you've only got an hour between when you're allowed to drive through the gates of Magnolia Lane and, and until you tee off. So you kind of have to prioritize that, um, you know, depending on what you want to do. So I kind of went up to the champion's locker room for a couple of minutes just to see Adam Scott's locker. And it was really cool to see um, that he shares that with Gary Player. And then, you know, you're getting photos of Tiger's locker and Jack's locker and Arnie's locker. And then um, then you're allowed to go down into the pro shop Um and pretty much overnight, they they switch out all the Masters merchandise and they put in Augusta National merchandise. And um, anyone in the golf world knows when they see someone who's wearing Augusta National merchandise, it's almost like a secret handshake that there's a very good chance there's a very good chance that they've played Augusta National. So it's a bit of a humble brag if you're wearing ANGC merch. Um, so I, you know, bought a couple of hats and a couple of shirts and ball markers and whatnot. And then, you know, you hit some pills on the range, uh, meet your caddy and walk over to the first tee. And thankfully, I got that ball airborne. I pulled it into the left rough, but all I wanted to do was get it in the air. <laughs> that's that's incredible. I wish I want that experience so bad. Did you play well that day? I, I played okay. Like, tee to green, I hit it pretty well. Um, and, and I'm a, like a, you know, a high single figure marker. So at the time, I was off eight or nine. And I, I wanted to break 80, but I knew that was maybe unrealistic given how nervous I'd be. But then when you get there, um, mm-hmm. when you get there and you realize that um, unless you're playing in the Masters, you have to play the members' tees, and that's almost a thousand yards shorter than the, than the tournament course. So um, it's probably gettable if you can set aside the fact that you're playing Augusta for the first time. Um, but I, I, yeah, if you could put your nerves <laughs> exactly, aside. But I, I find the better player you are, potentially the more serious you take the occasion, and you probably put too much, uh, you, you put it on a pedestal a little bit too much. So. I was hitting it well from tee to green, but I was blading a few trip, a, a few chips um, around the greens just because I was so nervous. But by the time I started to warm up and, and feel comfortable, it was probably about the fifth or the sixth hole, and then I started to play some good golf. And um, I think I shot, what did I shoot, like 85? So for a nine handi- or for an eight handicap, that wasn't too bad, but I definitely could have. I, I think if I, I could go back there um, with a good caddy again, I could potentially break 80, but you know that could be fanciful. I don't know. <laughs> Well, let's be real. You haven't played off grass that nice. No wonder you're blading your chips. Yeah, it's, it's pristine. It is, yeah, like that's that's tight light chipping at its finest. So, what is the next event you were supposed to go to once this whole pandemic is over? 
that's a good question. You know, I, I don't. You know, I know the PGA Tour has set um, the return for the Charles Schwab um, in Texas, but I really don't think that's going to go ahead. I think late May is still too early for for golf to be played. So um, there's a good chance it's either the Travelers Championship in Connecticut, which would be awesome. You know, to have like a bit of a semi home game, um, only two hours from New York City, yeah. but. You know, we'll see how the virus pans out, but I guess that would be the first one that I was that I was due to cover um, once the U.S. Open was postponed, and then um, from there I kind of usually have a month off between the Travelers and the British Open. So, um, and 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 that's actually cancelled uh, to use the c word. <laughs> so, so yeah, it all just depends. If, if if golf resumes late June, it will be the Travelers. If it gets pushed back, the first event I could cover may be the PGA Championship. You know, who knows. Are you taking all your own photographs when you? Report? No, no. So, so the the Australian AP they subscribe to um, AP Photo and, and a few others. Um, occasionally, though, I've written about like an you know an obscure golfer or a sponsor invitation, um, and, and there's just no photos in the database, and the photographers on on site aren't really going out and taking photos of that particular player. So, I've had to take them myself. But yeah, I I, I bought a, a nice camera last year with a with an, uh, an eye to take up golf photography as a bit of a hobby. So. We'll see how that pans out. Yeah, I think we are all excited for when golf returns and to see who has been keeping their game sharp over this quarantine. But I just want to thank you so much for hopping on and joining me. It has been so much fun learning about your career and hopefully what's to come in the future. Yeah, no, I really appreciate having me on. And uh, it, was, it was lovely to meet you back in the studio in New York City. It seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? You know, when... <laughs> I know it feels like forever. Yeah, it was such a nice time with Mark Canizzaro and Frank Darby there, and you know you're kind of in Radio City. You're amongst the, the you're in the thick of the action in New York City, but um, I'm sure we'll all go back get back in the studio soon in, in New York. Of course. Well, you probably have some morning coffee to make because it's so early. So I will let you go, and we will talk soon. <laughs> Thanks, Avery. Thanks for having me on. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Ah, he has such a stellar accent. Like I said in the beginning, he is a phenomenal journalist. I've read some of his pieces and they are truly magical. But if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and follow me on social media at Avery underscore Dovsek. That's A-V-E-R-E-E underscore D-O-V-S-E-K. Thanks for listening to another episode of Why You Suck at Golf and we'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh.